Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. What a week. <laughs> you know, there's just, uh, there's sometimes there's weeks where there's just a lot that's going on. Sometimes there's those weeks where it's just like nice and easy going. This was not one of those. Um, what I will say is, uh, you know, fireworks booth got wrapped up on Monday, and thank you again to, to everyone that was involved with that. A uh, big thank you to Dave and Wendy for, you know, heading up the, the portions that, that they head up for staying out at the booth, which is in and of itself a huge thing. Carolyn, for the, the financial side of things, always is, is coming through, and then Charlotte helping with the tax permit uh, gauntlet that she has to deal with. So just a huge thank you. It, what I can say is it was a very profitable time. You know, we, Wood Street Chapel was blessed. And through that blessing, we've been blessed. And so now we get to be a blessing, which is an awesome opportunity. Amen. So this morning, we are making our way to Daniel chapter 7. And it's here that we find this turning point. Um, it's where we move from a place of historical events being retold to a place of future events being foretold. Um, as I mentioned when we started this series, it's, it's really common for churches that go through studies of the book of Daniel to stop last week. Um, and we'll see after today if we should have stopped last week, but, uh, <laughs> but hopefully that's not the case. Um, the reason being is we're moving from this place of, again, retelling history, of telling, you know, the, the stories that everybody's excited to hear about, right? The, the stories of Daniel and the lion's den, the stories uh, of the, the fiery furnace, the writing on the wall. I mean, these are, these are big name events, these are, are the neon sign events that happen within uh, Bible School 101. And yet, now we're, we're at this point where we're talking about apocalyptic prophecy, the end of the world. <laughs> and all of a sudden, everybody's like, well, we don't really like to talk about that. <laughs> that's, that's not really something that, that we're, <laughs> we're as excited to talk about. And, and what I can say is, God has placed prophecy in the Bible for a reason. This wasn't just like space filler where he was like, you know, let's, we needed something for the second half of, of Daniel, so let's just chuck that in there. I'm sure nobody's going to read it anyway. Um, I'm pretty sure that's not how the Bible works. So we as followers of Jesus shouldn't shy away from studying it just because it's more daunting, just because maybe we won't understand it. Um, Acts 20.27 specifically says that we are to preach the whole gospel. That we're supposed to, to take all of scripture into account and not just the easy parts. And, you know, that, that comes to me. I, I'm not just supposed to stand up here and go through the, the greatest hits of the Bible every week. We're supposed to touch on the stuff that's, that's difficult, the stuff that is hard to understand, and, and we're supposed to learn together and grow together. 
if we take a look at, at apocalyptic literature, and specifically what we're, when I'm, I'm thinking of apocalyptic literature in the Bible, we're thinking, you know, the second half of Daniel, absolutely. Um, the book of Revelation comes to mind. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll see that that's pretty common, that the book of Revelation is not a common preaching topic for, uh, for churches. Um, it's a lot to, to chew. Uh, we're not going to go there today. Uh, Maybe another time we can crack that a little nut. But um, apocalyptic literature is a vision of the future to give believers hope today. That, that's, that's really the, the point that we need to be focused on here. And, and so there are going to be things that we talk about today where you're like, Matt, I don't think that's right. <laughs> and there are going to be things today where I'm going to, and I'm going to tell you the areas that are my opinion, because there are things in here that, that are open to interpretation. And I might be right, or I could be totally wrong. And, and that's okay, because at the end of the day, the point of this being included in the Bible is to give believers hope for today. Do you need hope today? Judging by how many people are not here today, yes, we need hope today. <laughs> and so one of the, the rules for the, the study of this type of scripture, and we're probably going to touch on this each week, but this is just kind of a rule that we need to make sure we hang on to, is we focus on what we know. We focus on what is certain, but we don't obsess about what is unclear. Because when it comes to end times prophecy, there are things that are just unclear. And, you know, we can get into a study that's not on Sunday morning where we, we dive into the specifics and take two hours to try and figure it out. But, but for right now, we are going to focus on what we know. And I can guarantee you that if you are all paying attention this morning, you are going to leave this place with questions. <laughs> and normally, that's not really something that we're going for. <laughs> normally, on a Sunday morning, we, we want there to be a time where, where somebody brings questions on a Sunday morning, and they, they get those questions answered, and they leave and say, man, we, we learned so much at church today, and, and that's okay. <laughs> Hopefully, that will happen too, but there are going to be questions that come from this where you say, man, I, I, I still don't know the answer to that. And that's good, and, and we're going to see why in just a little bit. So we need to focus on what is clear, focus on what is certain, while being willing to let go of what we just can't understand today. Now, the, the interesting point about being able to let go of what we just can't understand, again, does that mean that we just don't look at it at all? No. No. Does that mean we ignore it? Not at all. We study, we, we hide it away in our hearts, and we, we say, okay, so this is something that I, I don't understand today, but I guarantee you, if you keep that in your heart, and when that time comes, God's going to point it out, and he's going to say, hey, remember that? Do you remember that thing that you were, were struggling with understanding? What about looking at it this way? The other thing that I want to be really careful of this morning and that I want to caution us all about is we need to be careful of anybody that claims to have more precise knowledge about these events and these times than what Jesus had. 
If at any point you hear me sounding like I know the exact date and time that something is going to come about, that I know exactly who was being talked about when they talked about this three-headed animal or this, you know, the four-headed whatever, um, be careful. In Matthew 24, 36, Jesus very clearly states that he doesn't know the hour or the time that he's going to return. And if Jesus doesn't have that level of detail, then I probably shouldn't say that I do either. So here we go. Buckle up. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon. So, sorry, I got to stop right there. We're going back in time. Okay, because you're like, wait a minute, we just, we, we talked about him before. He was the writing on the wall guy, right? So, we went back in time to, to Belshazzar. Then, remember, after that came the, the invasion of the Persian army, then Darius and, and all that. So, we're going back in time to this king, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind, and he was laying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had wings of an eagle. And I watched until its wings were torn off. And it was lifted up from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human. And the mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. And after that I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and on its back... It had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given the authority to rule. And after that, in, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all of the f former beasts, and it had ten horns." And while I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a, a little one which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. And this horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Okay, so you all got that, right? Well, you all understood it? See you next week. No. So let's, let's tackle some small things, some specific details here. Where, where do the beasts come from? They, they come out of the great sea, right? And if we've, you have to kind of understand it and look back at, at Hebrew literature to kind of understand that the great sea refers to um, chaos. It's, it refers to danger. It refers to uh, being out of control. 
And if we think of the beasts themselves, what do you think about beasts? Generally, they're, they're out in the wild, right? They're typically dangerous. They're, they're out of control. And so really that's what we get here is that out of this chaos, out of the, the calamity is coming these beasts that are, are very dangerous. I mean, we have lions, we have uh, bears, and we have leopards, And what we start to see is that these beasts more than likely are representing countries, right? Because it's talking about these, these specific beasts having the, the right to rule. And on the surface of it, we're like, what on earth are we, you talking about with a lion with wings getting plucked off and that's representing a country? And, and initially it feels weird, but then when you stop and think about it and you look at even our world today, you know, if we look at, at our nation, we have a donkey and an elephant fighting to figure out who's going to control the eagle, right? You know, if you, you think about the, uh, there's animals that are typically associated to certain uh, parts of the world. If you think of Russia, um, Russia is very often associated to a bear. If you think of um, China. China is very often associated to pandas, right? <laughs> if you think of Australia, there's an animal that immediately comes to mind when you think of Australia, right? The kangaroo, probably. And so we, we have all of these different types of, of associations that exist for us today. And so it's not far-fetched to think that there's these animals, these beasts that are associated to kingdoms or, or a, you know, what would have been countries back then um, during that time. And so what we have is this first kingdom, a, a winged lion that, that represents the first kingdom, kingdom. And it's, it's characterized by a rise, a fall, and then a restoration. And if we stop for just a moment and we think back to, to the study that we've been doing through the book of Daniel, can we think of a time where we saw a, a lion that, that had wings at some point, those wings were removed, and, and there was a fall, and then he was restored? If we look at King Nebuchadnezzar, it kind of fits. If we look at the archaeology that exists for, for um, Babylon, ancient Babylon, you've probably seen it, where there's the, the reliefs on the wall, where there's the, the lion that is pictured on the wall, and there's wings that are coming off of it. And, and you see that in Babylonian architecture. It's actually the symbol that they use to represent King Nebuchadnezzar. And so there's this lion that's winged, and the wings get pulled off. And when we think about wings, eagle's wings specifically, there was some specific references when Nebuchadnezzar was um, kind of sent out and being disciplined for his pride, right? He, he went out and he, he kind of lost his mind. He started acting like an animal, right? And it says that he, he had the dew on his back, that he was eating grass like an oxen, that his hands became like bird's claws, and that his hair became like eagle's feathers. And so we, we have that reference that exists here. And we have the, the ancient artifacts that, that show us that, that King Nebuchadnezzar is being uh, symbolized as this winged lion. 
He's proud of his kingdom that he's built, and eventually his wings are torn off. But then he's restored. He's allowed to stand upright, no longer a beast, and uh, his mind is restored. Could this be connected? Maybe. The, the next kingdom that we see is this lopsided bear that, that represents the second kingdom, which has destroyed three other kingdoms, we would think. I mean, that, that's kind of what you, you think about when you have a bear with three ribs in its mouth, right? That's, that means it's eaten something. So the, the, bear would, the ribs would seem to indicate that it's defeated something in the fact that there's three, maybe there's three th- somethings that, that it has defeated. The next figure that we have is a, a four-winged and four-headed leopard that represents the third kingdom. And what do we know when we're, we're thinking about a leopard? It's fast. They're, they're quick. And it's, when we think of something that has four heads, I, I just think that that must be pretty hard to make a decision, right? <laughs> if, if you have one, one head, it's hard enough. But when you have an extra three, trying to get that, that agreement is probably difficult. So that's, that's the, the third beast. And then finally, we have the, the fourth beast. The multi-horned beast represents this final kingdom, which is more severe, which is more long-lasting. It doesn't get characterized like an animal, like the rest. If you Google it, um, it's very often, it, it just looks like a dragon, it is what they have kind of, you know, Google has collectively said this makes sense. But we don't know. We don't know what that particular beast looks like. But, okay, now, now it is time to get into opinion. Okay, this is opinion. This is not what it says in the Bible. This is me taking what I know in the Bible, taking what I know of history, taking what I've seen in other teachings, and now I'm sharing that with you, okay? And you can take this and say, Matt, you are crazy, and that's okay. So we, we had the first king, and, and I feel pretty confident in saying that that king is that kingdom being represented there is Babylon. And the, the next place to look is what, what empire took over Babylon, right? Let's, who, who came in and defeated Babylon that, that night, right? There, there was the writing on the wall. And we have the Persian empire coming in. And, and there's, there's another name that we sometimes see that's associated with the Persian empire. It's the Medo-Persian Empire. And so it's, it's actually two different countries. And sometimes you don't hear about the Mede portion of the empire because it's a little smaller. And if you think about an animal that's being characterized as walking lopsided, we have a, a kingdom that's maybe a little smaller and a kingdom that was a little bit bigger with a little bit more control and they come together to form the Medo-Persian Empire. And for the Medo-Persian Empire to come together, they had to fight three specific battles to be formed. And, and those specific battles, a lot of history not going to get into, but they, they fought in these specific wars that allowed them to become the empire that they were at the time. Could that be the three ribs? Potentially. So 
let's then look at, I mean, if we're going in chronology and saying, okay, so, so these two are in order, who's the third? Who takes over for, for the Persian Empire? Who, who comes in and conquers the Persian Empire? The Greeks do. And that's where we see Alexander the Great show up, and he conquers all of the known world. Alexander the Great comes in, and he conquers all of the known world before he's 30 years old. That feels fast to me. That feels like something that's moving very quickly. And when Alexander the Great turns 33, he dies. And when he dies, there are four generals that take over for him. Four generals, four heads. So we have these, these four generals, these four heads that are, are now in control of the the known world. And then we have the last kingdom. The kingdom that, that isn't like any other animal. It's not like anything they've ever seen. It's destroying, it, it's, it's making its own will. It's forcing its own will on everyone else. Who takes over from the Greeks? The Romans. The, the Roman Empire is the empire that, that comes next and and did it last for a long period of time? Yeah. Was it more ruthless than any of the previous empires before it? You bet. I mean, we just look at the Colosseum. You look at uh, gladiators. You look at the, the Christian martyrs. You look at, at any of those areas by itself, and it, it's built into their culture. You look at their uh, methods of conquest. Absolutely. And so some of the, the interesting things when it comes to studying biblical prophecy is that there are sometimes multiple fulfillments that take place. And sometimes there are, are applications of prophecy that are, are relevant in that time. And then there's another application that's going to be relevant later on down the road. And maybe even a third after that. And so what we're going to start seeing here is that sometimes there's an application that probably could fit for the Roman Empire, but then I think there's absolutely a a discussion to be had, an argument to be made that this particular beast, very specifically, is talking about something that hasn't happened yet as well. So... If we take a look at all of those different horns that, that are happening, right? That's, that's where things kind of start going sideways, and it's like this is a little hard to follow at this point. We see all of these different horns coming out of the dragon, and one horn becoming more than the others, and, and eyes, and they start talking, and, and all of these different things. So there's a couple of ways we can approach this. Either one is that the, the Roman Empire that we see here is at, somehow going to come about and be uh, relevant again at the end of times at, at, when it comes to the uh, end of the world. Or, and this is kind of an interesting idea, is that the ideologies of the Roman Empire will start popping off of that beast and those ideologies will be found in other governments that will be present during those times. And you start thinking about what does it mean that there's Roman ideologies that exist, you know, in other countries, in other nations. I mean, you just, 
go out and look at our road. We have a road, and the, the road system was really first primarily established by the Romans. If you look at the idea of government, if you look at the idea of uh, economics, those specific areas have been really taken in large part from the Roman Empire. If we think about some of the, the ideologies that exist within the Roman Empire in terms of our way is the best way. Government should have all of the power. The, the wealthy should rule the poor. People weaker than us are less than us. We should control everything. If you think about like, just those five fundamental ideas that absolutely were present within the Roman Empire, can you look at anywhere else in the world, any other government in the world, from Rome onwards, where those ideas existed? Yeah, <laughs> there, there's a lot of them. <laughs> and, you know, we could probably make a pretty good argument that a number of those exist in the United States of America. For better or worse. So, this could be what it means. Or I could be wrong on all of this. <laughs> and, and that's absolutely possible. But even if I'm wrong on every single one of these accounts that we're talking about, what do we know? We know that there are going to be kingdoms and governments and nations that are going to be working against the kingdom of God. That's what we know. And we know that that is going to happen. It has happened historically. It is happening today, right now. And it's going to happen in the future as well. We know that. We don't have to figure out how a four-headed leopard plays into anything to, to know that as being truth. So what do we do about it? <laughs> right? I mean, that's great, Matt. Thanks for, for sharing. But, you know, here we are. What, what are we supposed to do about it? So glad you asked. Um, <laughs> verse 9. As I looked... Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. And then I continued to watch because of the boastful words that the horn was speaking, and I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed. Don't you just love how, I mean, we just had this whole section talking about these beasts who were terrifying. I mean, Daniel, the dude who has been like thrown into a lion's den, is like, I got this, it's okay, is saying, this is kind of scary, the stuff that he's being shown. It wasn't even a struggle. I kept looking until the beast was slain <laughs> and his body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The, the other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. What do we see here? We see the glorious ancient of days sovereignly reigns 
over all kingdoms of the earth. What have we talked about from the very beginning of this study? Is that God is in control. God is in control in the midst of all of the chaos that Daniel has experienced in his life, where he is ripped up from the the nation that he's living in and planted in the the kingdom of Babylon, where he's forced to eat food that he's not wanting to eat. And so he, he stands up and says, no, all of those different times, God has been in control. And what we see here is that even in the midst of all of that scary stuff, in the midst of all of these these animals and and these kingdoms rising up and taking control, God still reigns supreme. The ancient of days is still on the throne. There has never been a moment when God was not. God is not old. God is eternal. Eternal. It is important for us to, to recognize because sometimes when you look at this, it, it, you can almost think that you know, God is some old man sitting up there on his throne. He's not an old man. He is eternal. There has never been an instance when he was not. If you think of the, the time from us all the way back to Adam, God was before that. Even in the midst of chaos, he is in control. Verse 13, it says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority and glory and sovereign power. And all the nations and all the peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. When we see this, when we hear those words, it's pretty easy for us to look at that and say, oh, he's talking about Jesus. Daniel was written centuries before Jesus ever came. Some make the argument that the second half of Daniel had to be written later on in history because there is no way that somebody could be this accurate about things that have, were taking place in the political arena. Except there's archaeological evidence that proves the book of Daniel existed before Alexander the Great. Furthermore, if we believe that the Bible is true, that we believe that the the word of God is spirit-breathed, would he allow deception to be included in it? No. So the Son of Man approaches the Ancient of Days, and he's being given authority and glory and power. In Matthew 28, 18, it says, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. So therefore, go and make disciples of how many nations? All the nations. His kingdom will not be destroyed. The term that that Jesus most commonly refers to himself as in the New Testament is the Son of Man. 
And if you aren't familiar with Daniel 7, you would be tempted to think that maybe he's just trying to lay claim to his humanity, saying, you know, know, I'm one of you. But there's a reason that every time he refers to himself as the son of man in the presence of the Pharisees, they're picking up rocks ready to kill him. Wait, you're saying you're that son of man? Why, yes, I am. Jesus isn't just coming for the praise and the adoration of the United States of America. Jesus is coming for the praise of every tribe, tongue, and nation. When we get to heaven, there is not going to be America town. When we get to heaven, we're not going to be looking for our flag to go and live with the people that, that we know and the people that, that are, are our group. The only banner that flies in heaven is that of Jesus. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to, to be set with all of the other people that, that look like me. I'm not going to be set with all of the people that speak English the way that I speak English. I don't think that I'm going to be put in, in the uh, IT group. I don't, some people are like, there better not be IT in heaven. <laughs> but for me, I think that'd be pretty cool. Can you imagine throughput speed in heaven, Jeff? <laughs> so, I, I don't think that when I show up, I have to fill out my little you know, census questionnaire that says, how much do you make a year? How many people live in your household? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure none of that applies because the fact of the matter is this is not my home. I am a resident of this country, but I am a citizen of heaven. In verse 15, it says, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. Again, this is the guy that just dealt with, well, actually, I guess he hadn't just dealt with, but he just watched a, a uh, hand right on the wall, right? And he had gone through all of these other things, but he's disturbed. And he says, I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all of this. And so he told me and he gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kingdoms that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. And then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all of the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot what was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. And as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. 
until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. And he gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all of the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will rise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings and he will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. And the holy people will be delivered into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and be completely destroyed forever. And then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts. My face turned pale, and I kept the matter to myself. <laughs> I, I think that last verse it just shows all of the wisdom of Daniel. He's like, this one is not ready for human consumption yet. <laughs> we we, we got to let this one cook for a little bit. So what we see here is, again, what, what I kind of interpret as the second application, that there's this end days application that comes about where we see this, this antichrist. And, you know, if we use the term antichrist, sometimes we think, oh, that's like, that, that comes from the book of Daniel, or that comes from the book of, of Revelation. Actually, it comes from 1 John, uh, weirdly enough. But... Antichrist is someone who has the spirit that is pushing against God's law, that is pushing against what God is uh, ordained to accomplish. And so what we see is this, this spirit of the Antichrist coming out of this final beast. Again, whether that's something that, that comes but with the Roman Empire coming back, whether it's not related to the Roman Empire at all, who knows? But, but that's what we see here. And we see that the Antichrist is openly defying God, that is relentlessly opposing the church. That the Antichrist will be determined to change God's law, to, to disrupt God's timing. And we saw just how quickly that fourth beast was addressed. Again, time times half a time, right? What does that mean? We're not even going to go too far into that. You could say seven years. You could say, you know, three years. There's lots of different ways we can do math on that. Regardless, it pales in the light of eternity. There is a season where the Antichrist will be able to glorify himself. But in the end... What does it say? The sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms of heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High because his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all the rulers will worship and obey him. So again, 
we could be completely off base with everything that we've just talked about this morning. <laughs> and if so, I apologize. Hopefully it wasn't a huge waste of time. But <laughs> in the end, what do we know? That God is in control. And that as we go through living out our lives for Christ, there are going to be kingdoms, there are going to be rulers that stand up and oppose what is right, that oppose what is godly, that oppose what it means to live a Christian life. And yet, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And all of the rulers of the earth will bow a knee to the God Almighty, to the Ancient of Days. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for your revelation that, that brings hope to us today. God, we thank you for the opportunity to, to look into these things that are so beyond our understanding, that are, are so outside of anything that, that we can know for certain. And yet, Lord, it's, it's so exciting to see that there is a victory in the end, that there is, is a battle that will be waged and yet you will be victorious. And God, as we go from this time, help us to, to ponder on those things that we don't understand. Help us to, to consider them, to keep them in our hearts, but help us to primarily focus on what we know. What we know for certain is that you are in control in the midst of chaos in the midst of hardship, in the midst of the unknown, you are in control. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 